everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Reading Party Podcast with Megan and Lexi. This episode continues our season looking at modern retellings of the Iliad and the Odyssey, ancient epics known for both brutal violence and instances of sexual assault. This episode is not suitable for under-18s. We hope you have your favourite beverage and snack ready to go, because we've got our teas and are ready to start spilling the tea on our latest ancient story. Most important question of the day, what are you drinking? Actually, I don't have anything yet, but Josh is going to bring me some tea. I suspect breakfast tea, but I'm not 100% sure. Sometimes he surprises me. Um, But I said, I'm going to go make tea and then start recording. And he said, oh, no, I'll bring you tea. Thank you. I will. That is I will take that. I I mean, really, what more do you need in a partner but someone who will bring you tea? That I mean, a lot more if we're being realistic, but you know. <laughs> well, if we're being shallow, that is the true definition of love. Honey, I will bring you tea. Not coffee. Tea. Yes. Tea. It is the best. It is the best. And, I mean, I've been getting my fill of delicious, like, authentic British tea. Oh, beautiful. What are you drinking today? This is a very special Earl Grey. I don't know why it's like super special other than it is like a there it's a I forgot exactly what, what they said it was but it was a they said it was a British brand a local British brand so I was like I can't remember but but yeah that's why it's special because otherwise I'm like but it's Earl Grey but yeah so yeah it's a local Earl Grey uh so I'm, uh, yeah I'm, I'm super super excited about it which is also impressive because apparently I'm living in a part of the UK where they have a lot of like um uh local breweries so Mm -hmm. this would be where you would want to get beer not tea but yeah i was like well tea is tea drinker i mean i mean it's just just the way it is exactly you know you have a whole break in the day here reserved for just tea tea. so i'm very very happy with with my tea yeah anyway yeah i'm I'm ready to really spill this tea on the second half of silence of the girls if you are i am absolutely ready absolutely excellent beautiful um okay so it's been well by the time people listen to this it's it's gonna feel it's gonna be one week but for us it's been a couple weeks since mm-hmm. our last recording so uh do you want to maybe do like a quick lightning catch us catch the audience up on what's been going on or what do we want do we want to just go right into it i think just go right into it because they'll it'll be fresher in their minds than it will for us (laughs) okay great great i hope that doesn't show too much um yeah okay so um i'm happy to to start us off because i noticed one major inaccuracy that i didn't think or notice when we did the first half which was um, the prevalence of the Greek military field hospital that is there. Um, I realized that's super inaccurate because that's a Roman invention. So I didn't know that. Yeah. I, well, I forget about it because mm. it's so sanitized. We see it in so many Every historical you know, drama. Exactly. So you just kind of like come to expect it. But then I was sitting down and really just thinking about Brzee's place and how she kind of helps out and she does this, that, and the other thing. And and we've seen it in a couple other adaptations, I think, or made reference to it. And um, yeah, it was something, maybe uh, maybe it was a conversation I had with someone for my It's in podcast, Song of Achilles but... as well, isn't it? Because Patroclus helps out in the medical tents. With... Exactly. So I was like, no, 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 this is actually included in a lot of other things. But I think we, we miss it because we're just so used to this idea that, okay, it would make sense that they would have like a tent sure, for, why for sick yeah. people. Um, but, but yeah, so, uh, no, I, I was talking with some Romanists the other day, so, uh, I think that's maybe what jogged my memory, but I just, I came back to it and I was like, they didn't have this. Why is this here? Mm -hmm. Um, so that was super interesting. Um, 
so that was one stray observation. And then the second sort of stray observation, um, that's not really relevant to the plot, but it was just still an observation. Um, did you, as a Brit, notice there are a lot of like British isms in this that I Americans? I did. Would, and a, yeah. a, a later or towards the, the end of the second half, there's a section where Briseis is um, remembering talking or hearing women talk about their sons and like it's written the dialect is very british very british it was wonderful i loved it yeah i, I thought it was so funny. well i think i didn't really notice until i went sort of back through and um noticed that interestingly when she was describing breasts she called them knockers or wrinkled dugs and i was like that's not that's not an american thing I would never hear someone call them that. And I was like, oh, damn, this is like super British, actually. Um, like, I hope the, the reader has a f vague familiarity with British words because, because this would be quite confusing, I think. I mean, you could look it up, I suppose. But I, I just feel like, you know, I'm like, okay, that was unexpected. Um, so, yeah, those are just my, my two sort of stray passing thoughts which is one it's super british and two yeah they just slipped in something that didn't exist for you know thousands of years that's fine i, I did um, i did like the place of the fields hospital though it was um for briseis it was clearly a very welcome respite from everything else that she was dealing with and i liked it as a like a staging ground for some of the the things that happened um, and at, at one point, Patroclus goes, Achilles sends Patroclus down to check on someone. And um, there's a like a little scene of Patroclus kind of grinding herbs and helping his friend. And it it, it was nice. It was kind of a humanizing moment. Um, but yeah, and, and I don't I don't know how that would have. I mean, it, like they could have played it out in a private tent, I guess. Um, but it was it was I enjoyed it. It was nice. But yes, anachronistic. But it works for the plot, so I kind of, you know, at that point, I was like, well, this, this is not a historical, like, completely 100%, you know, work of, of you know, scholarly uh, literature. So I was like, okay, whatever, I'll, I'll let it go. I mean, just use your imagination. I just thought it was funny. Um, but, okay, so what immediately stood out to you in the second half that was, like, particularly interesting or different or just kind of, I mean, the whole the whole novel really is just sort of a, a biting gritty read so it is it's i think we made this comparison last time it, it's the it's troy fall of a city in novel form um and it as you'd expect with a novel it very much continues in that vein for the second half it's it's unapologetically tragic and i feel that you get because of the way the story is told, it, it kind of alternates from Briseis' first-person narrative to uh, third-person focusing on Achilles. And I think because of that um, juxtaposition of the two views, you really get the sheer tragedy of Briseis' position and the helplessness. And it's said a couple of times in the in the narrative that or she says a couple of times, I, I don't have a place in this aside from what is created for me by other, like by men. And uh, Patroclus tells her at one point, um, I can't remember how he phrases it, but he essentially says, you change it, like you can change it, you get, you just get to the point where you have to do something different. And she says, it's such a male viewpoint. You have the power to change it. And even Patroclus has limited power, but he does have power. And Briseis has absolutely no way of influencing or changing her position so you've got kind of that that tragedy and helplessness um from briseis and then it will switch to achilles and it's a different kind of tragedy especially in the second half because you get the death of patroclus and achilles I mean, we all know how that one goes he is just grief stricken so you have the kind of parallel tragedy but you also have especially just before Achilles, uh, before Patroclus dies when Achilles is doing his sulking thing, you kind of get this, um, you get really Achilles' arrogance in full force. And it's something that is touched on 
in the other adaptations and explored in the other adaptations but i i feel like this is the most thorough treatment of it that we see maybe maybe silent uh, song of achilles comes comes a close second but i feel like because of the viewpoints because we don't have the story of achilles being told through patroclus kind of rose-tinted glasses you see more just of the raw arrogance and barbaric maybe barbaric nature of of achilles that it was it was very interesting and and yeah excellent contrast to briseis and it it really highlighted the like it's just sad it's so sad beautifully written but oh my god so sad yeah i mean okay i do want to say i was quite taken aback though because it's yeah we said you know it's fall of a city in book form it's very gritty um they like in certain places she goes into like very graphic detail which makes one very very uncomfortable like that one well when when Briseis is still with Agamemnon and then there's that horrible scene where he basically like spits into her mouth and you know there's that visceral just reaction of like I want to recoil and I'm read I'm just re sitting here reading this um but to sort of have well it's weird because I was just like there, there's a sort of balance I know she's trying to go for but also it it's one of the only things that I don't know how I really feel and it kind of affects the whole experience because it's like on the one hand she leans really heavily into it to the point where it becomes sort of this I I didn't really know what to call it but I guess the... it's very unrelenting it there there are very few bright spots it's just just sad you know I think the closest term that I could come was torture porn ha <laughs> yeah like yeah you know like that's the closest i could get so it, it leans into this like torture porn thing which really was kind of a turn off in cer certain places but then i did not like how certain other depictions like if you're gonna lean into it and have it be like a torture porny thing that's a choice and that's fine but i think you need to lean completely into that because what she did i find is some depictions of brutality and rape were sort of uh, sanitized, quote unquote. Because, like, when she's sort of having Briseis describe Achilles and Agamemnon's treatment of her, you know, on the one hand, you have, oh, well, Achilles was, you know, not as cruel and she kind of wasn't expecting, it was very unexpected. And, well, you know, I think she's quoted as being like, well, it was over quickly, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have her talking about, like, Agamemnon. And then she was like, well, it wasn't so terrible because it wasn't anything I, you know, wasn't expecting. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, that's kind of an interesting way to yeah. talk about it. Yeah. So I, I felt it was a bit sanitized and I thought it was a bit awkward then to have like half of it be like torture porn and half of it to be like a very sanitized, eh, you know, it's a, you know, well, we know exactly what this brutal, horrible rape thing is and this, that, and the other thing. So yeah, another Tuesday. Mm -hmm. So so I was just like, that's an odd tr uh, treatment of it. So I didn't really kind of appreciate that. Do you, do you not but... think that... Um maybe by the time she gets to Agamemnon, Briseis is just so emotionally numb because of everything that's happened. It, it could be. But now, it, it now, didn't come I didn't across that way for you. But, but it didn't really, because also, because like another thing that I didn't really understand was like, you know, by the time that she's, she's captured and, and, and cl clearly a, a slave in the, in the Greek camp, I mean, here she is, you know, um, very disapproving of all the women who kind of attach themselves to a Greek and have these sort of weird sort of, you know, second marriages and whatever to survive. And she's like sort of scornful of that. And she, she makes a big deal about how she just, um, like, like, like she understands why, but she is also disapproving. But then it's like, she talks about how it's terrible. And then, but, I kept in mind the whole time that like when she was married, even before she got here, her husband would go out and freaking like rape people and, and, and make them slaves. And she like had no problem with that, or she just didn't say anything and she didn't make a fuss. So then it strikes me as a very kind of, well, if it doesn't affect you, then it doesn't really matter. Then it's fine. But then when it is you, it's bad, but like, depending on the, it, 
to me just came off a bit as like a little hypocritical yeah and very just you know mm -hmm. I, if you're gonna go with something make it like a constant thing that you sort of reiterate but she was so wishy-washy with it that that was that ruined it a bit now now you know i'm not going to say it was big enough that it ruined my entire appreciation for the, the work as a whole because i i did actually enjoy reading it but um you know there were just some sort of hypocritical things that it was kind of like okay this is you know like maybe just pick something and stick with it um but i guess that kind of goes with my larger sort of questioning theme throughout the work also which was you know I don't really know how I feel about Briseis as sort of her protagonist either. Um, it was an interesting choice. Mm -hmm. I liked how someone attempted to tell it through her eyes and not Patroclus or another man. Mm -hmm. um, but again, with this wishy-washiness of how her point of view is written, which then kind of just calls into question how she, as a character, is written, was that... Um, I found she was a little bland at certain places. Like, like it was very hard for me to relate to her. Mm -hmm. uh, not only because I wasn't in her situation, but also because I don't know if you felt this, and please elaborate if you did or didn't, but, like, I felt like a lot of the time in the novel, she felt a little separated from the other women. Like... Yeah. No, she's... She... she I think she sets herself aside very early on like she talks about like being with the other women and talking with them and sharing things with them but she's you're right she's very critical of a lot of them and the narrative really doesn't focus at all on her relationship because there are a couple of women that she's close to um but after the first like the opening chapter or two chapters it, it really doesn't look at her relationship with the other women in the, in the camp. It focuses so much, almost to the exclusion of everything else, on her relationship with the men. Um, so she is, she is completely separated. And the like, the brief times that she is with the other women and like physically with them, like in the weaving sheds, and when she's um, Agamemnon takes her and she's like sleeping, well, sleeping in the weaving sheds, and you don't get a lot of description or dialogue of her with the women or talking with the women it's always she's thinking about the men and she's walking on the beach by herself thinking about the men and it's a very different novel in that sense from something like a thousand ships which very much focuses on not only the women but more on their relationship in a lot of the chapters to the other women so especially when you're looking at the women of troy a lot of what you're looking at in Thousand Ships is how they interact together. Obviously, there are a lot of chapters which is which focus more on like the women and thinking of their husbands and their captors and, and all that kind of thing. But you have more uh, interactions between women, and it, I felt like that was very much absent um, in Silence of the Girls, which is funny. It's amusing given the title, because really, what you have is is one woman telling her story absolutely fine because that's that's obviously the plot um one woman telling her story but only in relationship to the men who are responsible for her situation um and yeah i wonder i don't think this would pass the bestial test actually um <laughs> it'd be interesting to reread it and kind of note down all the times that women are talking to each other about something that isn't a man which i don't know i i don't want to be too critical because the story is like the 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 Iliad is so male centric and all of the main plot points are driven by men so having an adaptation of that story that is not in itself male centric even with a female protagonist I think is probably very very difficult to do yeah so so to wrap sort of that point up um it definitely felt like um Briseis kind of put herself aside and it was like a well I'm special I'm 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 here and I'm not like everyone else uh, and I don't know if that was because it was she who was Achilles prize and because he was the best it automatically like gave her that you know special thing but um yeah no so she was very separate but I did find it quite interesting how yeah in a novel that's supposed to be super feminist and kind of like exploring women's trauma and the bonds of female 
like sisterhood within an awful situation. It was surprisingly light on the actual bonds of sisterhood, you know. Um, but it was interesting how, like, they it was light on it until sort of the end when you have this this, this the horrific um, sort of sequence, right, with Polyxena and Hecuba in the tent. Um, and when she's asked, you know, will you accompany me? Will you come and sort of see her to her slaughter because I can't do it alone? Um, then it just sort of like full on brings on the let's be sisters together, like the sisterhood of like we need to support each other and how also like at the end she's then helping with a styanax like his body mm-hmm. and she makes sure that you know they're buried properly and um i just found it really interesting how they had her do all that at the end um, right but there's but not an you... awful lot leading up to kind of yeah so i'm kind of like why would you go out of your way to do this at the end i mean maybe it was a strategic choice of being like maybe becoming pregnant gave her like this whole new lease on whatever but but she didn't even like I don't know. How did you feel that, like, I don't know, the, the characterization of her after she was pregnant? Did you think that was, like, weird or just kind of like. No, honestly, it kind of felt a little bit like the pregnancy was an afterthought. And it's mm. like, especially given that it's mentioned so early on that she's been barren and that it's been a, such a trial for her, especially with her mother in law. I was expecting a little bit more of a reaction from her. And, and and especially, especially given that the child is Achilles' child and her, like, very complicated, genu- generally negative feelings towards him. Um, yeah, it was interesting. I Again, looking back to Thousand Ships, I feel like Natalie Hayes did... Um, maybe not a, necessarily a better job, but a much fuller job with Andromache... Um, and her feelings around bearing Greek sons uh, and Greek children. Um, yeah, it, it, I wasn't expecting her to become pregnant and it, I don't know, it didn't, it just felt a little bit like an afterthought. What we, What did you think? It did feel like an afterthought, but also, I mean, it would make sense that if she's been used basically... I mean, okay. Also, I had to keep in mind, I, I had to look up when it was written, and it was 2018, so it was clearly made after Me Too, right? So I feel like me there's there's the before Me Too, and then there's everything made after in the shadow of it. So this was clearly made after. Um, but I thought it was interesting how in a time where... And in, 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 in a piece that's marketed as you really want to get the brutality. I mean, you have sort of the torture porn on the one side. So then you have the brutality of this. So I feel like if she's trying to play this role of uh, really giving voice to the horrible atrocities and, and all the horrible things that happen to women in war. Um, I mean, and she's dealing with really still contemporary themes, right? Which is like, I mean, may, we don't see it as this way because of just studying the ancient world and you know you know women are taken they become slaves and then oftentimes they're you know coupling up with with their captors and and then they're they're having greek babies and stuff but um the 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 theme under it though is basically they're they're it's basically a woman forced to carry and birth her rapist child right and that's like a super um taboo not taboo but but like like it's a it's a big topic now right and so to sort of put these women in that situation and essentially if you're trying to capture this horrible shit that's happening to Briseis and all the other women i don't understand why she wouldn't lean further into it is achilles child because yes it's blah 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 in the context of the story but also it's just the theme itself of she is having her rapist child who she didn't love, blah, blah, blah. She has this very complicated relationship with him. Um, and and to not have her react more to yeah. Yeah, they're just that. Positive or negative, there seemed to be very little reaction as far as Briseis was concerned. I, I almost missed it. I, I very nearly missed the fact that she was pregnant because it, it, it just kind of was 
briefly there and then it has it's kind of mentioned throughout the last what two three chapters but it's not yeah she doesn't personally have any at least that i noticed emotional response to it it's just a i am pregnant the end uh okay is this is this a good thing you've never had a child before you've had issues before because your mother-in-law was mean because you couldn't have babies is it a good thing because you've always wanted one? I, I mean, it, that's not really talked about in the rest of the novel, so I can understand them not. Uh, I can understand Pat, Pat Baker not going that way. Or is this a tragedy, and you don't know how you're going to reconcile this child who is itself innocent, but is also the child of the man who slaughtered your entire family and then raped you repeatedly? I don't know. I, I feel like there could have been something there i think i for guidance i kind of look to when she finally tells achilles and just goes oh by the way and i'm pregnant you know um but also then you see in how it's written afterwards even after she tells him well it's a really rushed reaction he doesn't really he just says oh okay well i won't be here so uh cool you know and then he like marries her off real quick and then and it's interesting how uh, a lot of the the fights that usually are highlighted, um, they're they're little more than background noise, right? When Hector dies, background noise. It was only once Hector's body was brought back. Um, when Achilles dies, he kind of just dies off page, right? You, you just have her be like, "Oh yes," and there was a whale that went up and he was dead, and you're like, "Oh." Okay. I quite liked that because it kept the focus on the camp. Um, mm -hmm. And on the women, I, I did like that there wasn't a lot of um, like detail about the battles necessarily. I mean, it would have made sense for this adaptation, I think. Um, so yeah, I I didn't mind. I just thought it was interesting. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Just he died. <laughs> um, although <laughs> I do want to just rewind us to before he dies. Um, so so. Uh, this is maybe the first adaptation of the like six, seven, eight we've done in this season now. That's really made me change my mind about a major character. Oh, and I was, Which and I was one? shocked. Priam. Oh, because I think every adaptation that I've that we've gone through so far, and that I've noticed, you know, how did I feel about him when we saw? And it was interesting because I was just thinking back on my from what I can remember, my reaction to how we covered Priam in some of these other adaptations of, you know, you have the harrowing, he comes unarmed and he sneaks into the camp and then he he begs Achilles because of his whole, um, I'm a devoted father and I just mm -hmm. would like to bury my son. You know, and and in most of the, the iterations we've seen him in, that's all he's written and the scene yeah. is about, which is the, the the love of duty and how he's such a devoted man. Um, and he just really wants his, his son back. Um, and so what we got, though, I mean, when, when well, when we first see his first interaction, you know, um, Pat Barger's basically borrowing straight from the source material, right? Where she, where she even puts in the Homeric line of, you know, I, I'm doing what no man has done before. I kissed the hands of the man who killed my son. Mm -hmm. um, well, one, Briseis being there, which they don't always mention. And, and sometimes in certain adaptations, she's not there. No mm -hmm. one else is in the tent. Um, so I thought it, one, the parallel was a really interesting that as soon as he says that, she basically just retorts, right, with a very clever, and I've been forced to do what every woman before me has had yeah. to do, spread my legs for my... The man who killed what my, was it? my brothers. Yeah, exactly. So um, I, I did enjoy her clever retort because that's like the kind of sassy reply. I yeah. probably would have been like, yes, girl. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was most jarring after. So when Berzeus insists on taking care of her or of him and then basically when she's talking to him when achilles is like off asleep or whatever and she's all please let me Take come me with, with you, you. Yeah. like i'd like to go and yeah this is the section that really made my made me change my entire opinion about priam because his response is this like really horrible despondent like no <laughs> yeah i see what you mean what's but the, no what's the because point? 
Yeah, I mean, he one, he admits he knows they're going to lose the war. And then two, he just kind of acts like, well, I'm going to die quickly. And I don't really care what happens to all the women, but I know that you're all going to be sold off as slaves. But I couldn't be bothered to help you, like, make a break for freedom so that way I can give you the choice to, like, kill yourself, mm -hmm. run away, or not be taken captive yeah. or, or do something noble. I mean, it's just this very blatant, I don't care, sorry, even though I know my you. problem. Right? And so then that made me think of, like, well, how can you have this man who's supposed to be this devoted, you know, I care about my, my city and my citizens and all of my country. And then I'm like, no, you're not. Because, well, if you really cared about your country, you'd kick Paris and Helen out and be like, no, nah, <laughs> take them. Bye. Because I love my country too much to go into war. And then, you know, so I'm kind of like, oh, this was really interesting. Mm -hmm. So for the first time, I'm not seeing him as just this devoted father. I mean, I, I, like it made me question everything like well are you doing this because you i mean i'm sure he loved his son but i was also like are you doing it just out of this pure love of your son or is it kind of like uh you also need to bury him and do what's right because either his mother told you something or you're just terribly afraid that when the war is over and you are killed if you've not honored and buried your son are you just afraid that you know you're gonna have some horrible fate in the underworld mm -hmm. so is it like a duty and not yeah. just pure love yeah um so that made me really see prime in a completely different light um which was unexpected yeah and i, I that bit surprised me too it, and unexpectedly it also when i was reading this i literally had instant flashbacks to the relationship and the scene the same scenes that we saw in the movie troy because there he is he's he re recognizes her right she comes running out and she says she, she, she looks at him and she goes oh, you know and he goes Briseis, my girl and like hugs her and is like come my girl and then mm -hmm. you know achilles lets her go and she runs like she goes with priam and i, I mean it's it, it's just a very different dynamic but also the fact is that in the back of my mind also he lets her go because they were in love. I was, mm -hmm. um, I don't think, or I, I don't appreciate that, uh, as much because essentially I was like, but to, I like, like, I just felt like to have, I don't know, I guess. It like erases Briseis's experience as a war captive if like depending on the adaptation I suppose but you have like the lives of women clearly in captivity but then not only are they ignored but then the storytellers themselves choose to ignore their pain and their plight but then if you do have an adaptation like the movie where then you make Achilles fall in love with Briseis I'm like, yeah, but to have them just sort of, fall, and they fall in love, it, 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 like to me, it sort of erases her experience and and makes it harder to to see the differences in adaptations. Um, so I don't know why it was such a strong scene, but like I could not get through listening to this scene. Also, again, audiobooks, I'm listening to it, not reading the, the pages, but in having it read to me. Uh, I, I couldn't escape the parallels for I like I was hearing it read, but then I was thinking of of the Troy and thinking of the difference and how the storytellers treated the same the exact same scene, the exact same material, the exact same relationships. And it was so interesting to see how, yeah, like Pat Barker isn't shying away kind of from this this experience and they're not in love and she doesn't like him and all this stuff but then you know you have the movie come in and be like oh no and they were in love and it doesn't matter that she's a prisoner of war nope they just see each other have that zing and then their clothes fall off you know like it's just weird and i don't know if it's something about the way that pat barker's writing evokes a lot of parallels or if it's just my brain going crazy but like i felt like more than anything reading this specific adaptation made me see so many parallels with the other works in a way that the other works didn't necessarily bring all these parallels rushing back you know it might be one or two but 
I had so many in this one. Uh, what you know? What did you feel about the, the, the that scene, that whole thing? Yeah, I definitely see what you mean. It it wasn't terribly fresh in my mind. I think maybe because I'm slightly less familiar with the movie than you are. I've only seen it um, like once or twice. Um, but it was incredibly different, and. I feel like the way that Priam was treated by Pat Barker, not only the his refusal to take Briseis with him, but there's also this undercurrent of rage that is described, I think, very well in Priam when he goes to retrieve Hector's body. Um, in other and e other episodes, in other adaptations, he's like dignified or pathetic or sad, but there's not an awful lot in the way of anger towards this man who slaughtered his son and then desecrated his body and this see this well this collection of scenes really it's for me did two things like in in the book it weirdly humanized achilles in a way that i didn't think was possible given how awful he has been throughout the rest of it um so after patroclus has died he like we said, kind of goes off on a bit of a bender um, to borrow some British slang. And like, is there's something fundamentally broken in him. And Priam's arrival kind of starts bringing him back to himself. And you see him empathizing with someone and treating someone well rather than letting his rage take over. So it, it did that, but it also, for Priam, I think, yes, you have this dignified old man um, asking for his son, but you also have this, like there there are moments described when Achilles tries to like help him down the stairs or, or does something, and Priam is just like, fuck you. No, actually, fuck you. And that was, I, I liked that. It was unexpected, but it felt maybe more real than some of the other descriptions of their interactions. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, if this ends up being like the only adaptation that treats Prime this way, then it could just be the specific way in which he's written here and the relationship is characterized that makes me not like him. So so I could go back to like, after looking at our 10 adaptations, I might be like, actually, for the most part, the consensus is like, Prime is not actually this horrible, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm reserving judgment on that one. The way he's treated in this one is, is quite different. And so it just made me actually want to reevaluate things. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll have to get back to everyone on that uh, after we finish this season off so I can actually evaluate after we've done 10 adaptations. How do I feel about Priam? It was, it was interesting because, you know, he's kind of a character like you, he's there, but he's always just like the old father who I think every adaptation before, though, kind of treats him as like he just he loves his people and his family and he's a family man and this and the other thing. So, um, you know, he couldn't possibly be cool. The, the way that we saw him in um, Fall of the City, right? Very fatherly. Even towards Helen. Yeah, and his wife was his equal. That's really the big difference, right? Where, like, this... It's interesting how this book is the closest to Fall of the City, but their primes could not be more different. Mm hmm Yeah. They, yeah, they're really very, very distinct. And actually, their Achilles are very different as well. Yeah, well, that one was the David Giazzi amazing, like, quiet sort of philosopher king type of dude which I, I i have to say after all these different iterations of achilles i think i prefer him as the, the the sort of like yes i know i'm good at my job i know i'm good at killing and i can do it and, and not spare a single thought but i like him when he's like the philosopher kid. i don't like it when he's just like I, honestly some adaptations turn him into jaws right just mm -hmm. this mindless eating machine with no personality just raw um but but then you have the philosopher king type and i'm like okay so he will just go and kill and be really unsentimental but it has to be for a justifiable reason. Mm -hmm. Like, what is there? There's What's not the just exactly. So I think, yeah, I'd be hard pressed to find 
an Achilles I like more than the David Giazzi version. Yeah. Um, no, he was excellent. And I do like it when Achilles isn't arrogant and brash, I'd have to say. Like, David Giazzi just played him so... He was, like, that quiet anger, the quiet arrogance. We're like, yeah, he's still arrogant and he's a prick and he's annoying as hell. But, like, he's quiet because he just knows and so he doesn't have to, like, go and... Mm. and you know, we all exactly. So I guess there's levels to being an asshole. There's the quiet one, and then there's the brash one. I think I figured out which one I like better. What did you think of Briseis' um, escape attempt? You know, I thought it was interesting because it, on the one hand, it makes sense that like even if she was told no, she's just been written sort of as this judgy rebellious type of person so i feel like it made sense and she was like it's fine i'll go and even a month of freedom is better than this horrible rape camp that i'm in and mm -hmm. this that, and the other thing um and you know i i thought it was very poignant and powerful how she said you know i'd rather go feel like a person for a month yeah even even if it's just that then not never again um but also again her characterization of well what if priam finds me he mm -hmm. could just dump me right like a lot of what she did resolved, revolved around sort of the reactions of the men, right? Um, so I feel like it was, yes, her trying to make a decision, but also letting the men dictate what she actually did. Um, but I thought it was kind of hilarious how she described herself as, okay, I'm in here, I'm, I'm covered, I'm with the body. Um, and then, you know, oh, Achilles is looking at the car. I think I can feel his eyes on my back, even though I'm covered up. And, and then, you know, lo and behold, it turns out, oh, yeah, he knew she was there the whole time. And he was just like, oh, I would have just not stopped you. And yeah. she's like, what? Y you know, so just almost getting scared that, like, and, like, like, it was kind of adorable. Like, oh, I'm going to hide. I'm going to pretend I went and hid with the women. And then just pop back up like I was with Hi. the woman the whole time. Yeah. And he was just like, okay, cool. Why, why did you come back? So I just thought that was kind of funny. I thought it was an entertaining sequence. With everything else that I was hyper-focused on, I don't know personally for me if the escape attempt really added anything beyond just, yeah. you know. I mean, I think it's, I, I didn't especially understand why she, ultimately decided not to go through with it. it that wasn't terribly clear for me reading through the book but i i do think that because of how achilles change in behavior is described afterwards it's like she chose to come back she chose to stay with him so somehow he's seeing her more as an autonomous individual rather than just this person or not even person this thing that he he owns um because she she comes back and he's like why did you come back and she says i i don't know which is uh, an appalling answer but then his response is to ask her to sit and eat with him which has never happened before and it it's kind of described not as a meeting of equals but as a meeting of two people with some kind of agency and i i think i think the escape attempt is i i think that that shift is necessitated or the escape attempt is is what facilitates that shift in attitude but yeah it was it was a little little odd but it's weird because i didn't maybe i didn't read it that way only because it's a book all about the lack of female agency. You you don't give them any agency, so, so I don't understand like why she would suddenly give her that. See, I and I, I think I think this would have been nice to see developed further because I can see it being um, linked to his uh, his mummy issues. His mother abandoned him, and he's. We've seen previously in the book that he's kind of mapped his mother onto Briseis. And when given the chance to abandon him, Briseis doesn't take it. She comes back. So if that is what is is going on there and that is what Pat Barker is, was driving at, it, it would have been nice to see that made a little bit more explicit. I, I Having said that, I don't know how that could have been made more explicit without having like a snapshot into Achilles' brain. But I, maybe that's what was going on there. I'm not sure. You know what, though? This is a bit ridiculous. But again, I had sort of another parallel, another flash. 
it read to me like beauty and the fucking beast okay it was like some stockholm syndrome shit because uh, i just especially with her saying i don't know why i came back are you in love with him is it what what is this it's it's like that one scene there's two scenes in beauty and the beast and i and keep in mind i haven't i haven't actually sat down and watched beauty and the beast in at least two three years now just it's not one of the movies i cycle back through to, to watch all the way through the way i watch the lion king religiously like every year but um but 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 there's two scenes and one of them the first one is you know he literally kidnapped her father and then she wouldn't let you know he wouldn't let her father go until she was like i will stay and be the prisoner so then you have the first like okay she's prisoner he doesn't treat her well but also he sort of gives her freedom to roam the cat but then you have the she like wanders into the west wing he shouts go away get out and then she like flees the castle runs off into like the woods mm -hmm. gets attacked by the wolves right and then he comes and saves her so then the wolves go away he collapsed the beast collapses in the snow and she's like on the horse and she's like okay i could like leave right now and leave him to his fate because you know he's he's terrifying he's this beastly monster and then inexplicably well, it's Disney, so not inexplicably, but in Disney-esque fashion, she's like, I can't just leave him here. He just saved me from a horrible death. Crisis of conscience. He saved me from the death that I would not have experienced had he not kidnapped my father. <laughs> exactly, right? And had he not yelled at me mm -hmm. for trespassing into his West Wing. So, but then she takes him back to the castle. And then the very next scene is her treating his wound and and, and being like, thank you for saving my life. And he's just like, ah, ah. so that scene came to mind as a parallel. And I was like, oh my God, it's like saving him, you know? Um, and, and, and then it's kind of also like, yeah, after she falls in love with beast quote unquote, and then uh, she comes to warn him about the, the villagers storming the castle. And he's like, why did you, he's like, you came back. And she's like, of course I did. And I'm like, well, that wasn't really a given i mean this weren't disney but i'm like honey you have like the strongest fucking syndrome like stockholm syndrome so i, I just was seeing like to me i read it as no brzee just has some strong ass stockholm syndrome because she knows mm, it's a brutal life and she's criticizing all these other people but also she's achilles prize and so because he's terrible but he's not terrible in the way that other people are being terrible i would rather go back at least he's not Agamemnon. Right, like, she was like, I would rather just go back to him because, well, it could be worse. And that, to me, is not acceptable. But it had to be because there was no other, like, that's what happened. Right, because she, she, doesn't, she doesn't leave. So I don't know if it was agency or if it was just, I could actually end up in a worse situation. Because that's the thing, like... Yes, you have her internal dialogue, right? Priam could leave me on the road. I could be captured. I could, or if I did make it, um, and then the city falls, and because she says many times, like, oh, well, she's not one to like throw herself off the parapets and 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 nobly kill herself, you know. Um, so knowing that she probably would have then just been captured again, she could have gone to someone who wasn't Achilles, right? And it could be much worse. So I think it's almost part of like she literally goes back again out of fear of like men's decisions or, or you know so i don't you know i i think it's interesting and it could be a reason giving her some agency um that's just not the way i read that yeah it would be interesting to ask pat barker because i just don't like 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 overall like i i never lost sight of what she's going for the work as a whole but there were like just here and there, things that popped up that I'm like, okay, that doesn't really make sense. And I would like to know why this was a decision. And I kind of am wondering if it has something to do even with Pat Barker coming in and writing it. I don't believe she's a trained classicist. I think she's just a novelist who... Right. So she's a novelist who has an appreciation for the ancient world. And I, I love, I very much encourage all people, you don't have to be exactly like you don't have to be a, a classist but you know in comparing to some other sort of contemporary writers who are her peers you know we just read madeline miller's song of achilles i i i, I want to say that there are some novelists who just maybe have a bit better grasp of 
the ancient world or at least some of the dynamics uh well like i just feel like this is very much um one of these novels that's supposed to be harrowing you're trying to um you know show this message but also at the same time um it to me it read as it's it's supposed to be very visual like to me i think uh, like it could almost be its own character mm -hmm. is her description of visuals and setting in a way that that is not paid attention to in some other things yeah um i think and that's be, fine it'll be interesting to read um women of troy um to see if there are the same kinds of little quibbles um with that one yeah i mean this could also just be the fact i mean this is i think what pat barker's like 14th novel or something so i you know i i say all this and analyze this book knowing i have not read any of her other works yet so i cannot judge whether this is like characteristic of her writing style mm -hmm. um or if this is like unique to this one novel yeah. she wanted to write um but i i yeah i would find it quite interesting um to 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 see what else and and to see whether it ends up becoming a, a larger trend um but i mean yeah i mean overall like her 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 depiction of how it's like for women is harrowing but it's it's important uh, an important angle since not a lot of people would take it on uh and i did want to point to one thing that that really sort of hit home as well was um her description of after patroclus dies and Briseis's friend ismini is she's basically treated as patroclus's widow kind of even though she was his war prize she was treated kind of as his widow right up until the moment that she was herself given away as a prize um and so that was harrowing to hear how she was sort of in the women's tents and doing the thing and then when you have this this very harrowing scene of the men come in and just say ah oh, and um yeah here's your prize and then he's like diomedes wins her like sizes her up and is like yeah she'll do and like takes her away yeah so you're like ah. Oh. one thing one thing yeah. i did i did appreciate about this book was i think Pat Barker captured very well the utter disregard that the men, particularly the Greek men, but I mean Priam as well, a little bit, have for the women as people. The, the idea that anyone, any of the women are grieving anything that's happened, the idea that Briseis is like, grieving the loss of her brothers and her entire family is just not even present in the minds of the men and that is made very very clear and i think it it very it highlights their status as possessions and objects as opposed to people very very well um i found that actually quite difficult to read sections of it because you have you have the grief told by Prozeus and you, you empathize with what she's going through and to a certain extent you feel what she's going through and then just abruptly she's kind of torn out of her her internal monologue of grief and just a man appears and does something to her and it's like that like they they don't know or don't care that actually she has thoughts and feelings and emotions because that they're, they're completely irrelevant it was a very well done ju juxtaposition i think and and very i i think captured very well what it may have been like to be um a slave taken in wartime or i mean really any kind of slave but um specifically in yeah war. i agree i agree it was very well done uh i also kind of in that vein uh i think what was interesting for me to read as well was um when Briseis wants to go take care of Priam when he's sneaked into the camp um, and, you know, she's about to go get him the water to wash in the morning and insists on taking care of him. And then you have, you know, Achilles' men being like, mm. no, 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 we, we'll we, we can do that. Yeah. And and then when you have her say, no, because my, like, sister's whatever was married to his 
my sister is his daughter-in-law. Yeah, like this is someone I have a familial connection to. Like their immediate response was like shock. Like like they forgot mm -hmm. that she even had a past outside of being a slave, right? And that kind of goes with this erasure of once you're a slave, everything about you personally, especially your history, mm -hmm. uh, goes away. So, I mean, it's like, yeah, they knew she was a Trojan, but I'm like, knowing she's a Trojan should connotate that she has connections to Troy yeah. and obviously would have a family. And so the fact that their reaction was like so shocked, like what? Um, that also erases her past. I think that really nicely parallels what Nesta told her at the beginning of the novel when she was first brought to the Greek camp, you have to forget everything that came before this because it will only make you miserable. And she doesn't very obviously the whole, the whole time she, she knows who she is, but his advice and this episode right at the end really neatly bookmark the book and bookmark bookend the book and show that it doesn't matter if she's remembered who she is. No one else has. They don't care. Like it, they're just, she's just Perseus. She's the one that brings them wine and that they fetch for Achilles at nighttime. Beyond that, it really, really who cares? Um, and the fact that actually she is related to the king, to the king of the country, or the country, the, the city that they're currently attacking is like mind blowing for them. Yeah. I mean, and, and actually that, that, that segues perfectly into, I want to know what you thought of kind of Briseis's final soliloquy right at the end. I don't know. I don't, which is a really unsatisfying answer. I know. I don't, I'm like, I'm not sure. What, what, do, what were your thoughts? Again, um, thinking so much about how this was written in the post Me Too movement, you know, because she says in that final soliloquy, you know, she kind of recaps the themes of everything, but then she does have this thing about, you know, she reminds the reader, the audience, that you know, ancient armies were rape camps and that mm -hmm. they were a horrible place to be and that, you know, no one that, that uh, and then she has that whole part about how she is, is just a piece who will fit into Achilles' story and that she is not going to get her own and how, and she does this reflective thing on how she's like, yes, people will remember me only as the prize or only as this and and how she's undeserving of her own story. And so, she, you know, it kind of wraps everything, try, or tries to wrap it in a sort of bow where it's like, please remember that there were women and the, there were things that happened to them. But I'm kind of like considering the fact that it was written in the post Me Too movement. And there's clearly right now we're, we're living in a time where um, novelizations and feminist retellings of the same source material are very popular. Don't really know what the ending soliloquy added, and for me, I don't think mm. it hit as hard as I believe she wanted it to hit people. I mean, if you're going to end your book with that, you want it to be a powerful thing that resonates. And I'm kind of like, well, in this era when women know what they're getting into, I already know from a 21st century feminist woman, like I know these horrible places were quite terrible. You know, like this this ain't no walk in the park, right? Um, so I don't, I thought it was a bit excessive. I'm kind of like, yeah, you know, I know it's a, a rape camp. Why are you telling me? So I think as unsatisfyingly as you also felt, it just, it didn't land. It was just sort of like a, okay, so I'm just, we're going to go back through your top five hits of what's horrible about the situation. But it's also just telling me everything that I would you be. Know, yeah. Right, you know, some kind of like, I just don't see what the point, I mean, you might as well just end it with them going home mm. or something. Um, you know, I, I guess maybe I have the benefit, but also then, unfortunately for poor Pat Barker, having read, you know, A Thousand Ships and seeing how powerfully Natalie ends with Andromache's story, mm -hmm. that's not happy either, but it's like an acceptance of, okay, there's all this horrible shit, but you know what? she learned to like make do with the situation and keep going mm -hmm. right and like find some measure of happiness in the horrible so it's not just this this punching down of this sucks this sucks this sucks this sucks on and on and on mm -hmm. and it's all just terrible so um i guess if i'm doing a direct comparison with like natalie haynes work you know i i i love the ending of of her novel and you know even even beyond just the drama key you have 
you know, Calliope yeah. coming in with a little blurb, um, which ties it ties it up uh, to finish it. So, yeah, I just I was a, a little let down by how I kind of felt that the the ending soliloquy. While I know kind of or I think I know what she was going for, it just didn't hit, and I felt and I felt kind of bad about that. So, um, you know, get based on your response of just I'm a bit confused like maybe apathetic would be but the, the yeah. thing is like i don't i don't have a better suggestion because thousand ships there are moments of lightness and there are moments of respite so ending with andromache having a measure of peace isn't jarring i feel like briseis having a similar ending may have been a little may have felt a little bit out of place because it's unrelentingly bad yeah they don't even need to do that she could just she could have just copied fall of a city's ending and just i mean remember ended. fall of a city you had a synax thrown off yeah. you had uh, andromache cursing him and then you had okay let's go home so you see them like board the ship and look toward a storm and then it pans out you know, they don't even say it just pans out into darkness. So I'm kind of like, she's pregnant. She's going home. She's done the thing where she made sure people were buried who needed to be buried. You could have just been like, had her mm -hmm. new husband been like, okay, we're going home. And had her been like, okay, and now we are sailing off to an unknown fate in Greece. You know, like, uh, I, I normally, I guess I know I don't like sort of abrupt sort of end. It just ends. But this one, I felt it was written kind of into a corner in a way where I'm like, you know, it might have been fine mm -hmm. to just just end it you know because i feel like i feel like she was kind of trying to do what like song of achilles did which is sort of give it sort of like a ending right where it says something how song song of achilles was like okay well and fetus did one nice thing and, and then he goes off into you know whatever um i i, I just um I think you could have picked two or three different ending styles, whether it's sort of an abrupt end, they leave for Greece, but, you know, or like a sort of epilogue type of whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just feel like there were more ways than just trying to hammer home the... It just felt like at the ending of an essay, right? Like, like, like she's basically summarizing her entire thesis statement. Um... Maybe that's also because I'm in thesis writing mode, but it just feels like you're trying to wrap your points in a bow and have it hit in this big old soliloquy of don't forget, this is terrible. Yeah. Um, but it's just I didn't find that it was needed. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's just it. Um, no, yeah. I, I, I get that. I do get that. So that was just kind of... And that and then my, my, my final sort of parting thought when I was finishing the book was also just um I found it was interesting how they just how Pat Barker decided to have uh Achilles son Pyrrhus, not Neoptolemus, Pyrrhus come in and do the thing. Um and, and having read uh you know what, what was it in yeah it was it was uh, Song of Achilles, mm -hmm. right? That it was Neoptolemus yeah. who was the little shit, the little twat at the end. So um yeah, it was just interesting, uh, you know, small difference, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day, but I just thought it was, it was interesting there, yeah. how you... Because they're like the same character, it's just Neoptolemus did certain bad things in Song of Achilles, and then and then Pierce did other gross things here, so um, same same person, it doesn't really add or subtract anything. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was kind of another, another interesting thought at the point, end. Of yeah. yeah, I was like, okay, that's kind of random, but okay, cool. Um... Yeah, I don't know. Any any final thoughts overall? Well, I, th I think we both found things in this that either we didn't understand or wanted more, like, elaborating more. I do think it was a very well-written book. Um, I did enjoy reading it. I, I will, again, say for people considering reading it themselves, it is unrelentingly sad. It, it's a tragedy. And I, 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 I don't think there is any other way to tell that particular story um i think pat parker did a fantastic job i did enjoy very much um the characterizations of briseis and achilles and um not agamemnon he was just unpleasant um but i i did enjoy it um 
for all that there were bits I would have liked to be different. It was it was a good book. And again, different to everything we've looked at before. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, part of the reason we're doing this podcast is to really deep do mm-hmm. do some deep dives in, into the material and, and the sort of the, motiv- the motivation. So I know it sounds like we've just kind of been going at it for an hour of, and and this was bad and this didn't hit and this was weird but um you know that's kind of we just wanted to really talk about it but if i'm going for the more superficial what did i just think overall um it was an enjoyable listen Mm -hmm. and i will say that actually unlike the other audiobooks this one was read by two authors we had berzaeus's part by a lovely british woman with a very sort of soft silky very relaxing voice that okay honestly i would describe her voice as fucking sexy as hell so that was a bit weird to have this like sexy Mm. woman voice reading this horrible stuff but it was a enjoyable listen uh and then when the near when when it did sort of shift to sort of achilles uh we had a a a a man basically read it and he also had a very very nice sexy voice um so that kind of also affected how i i um yeah so i was like "Mm, your voice does not sound like cruel achilles your voice is yummy but um i would say if you were considering reading it uh i i always encourage physically reading books um yay reading but also if you are someone who might not want to like sit there and, and physically read the the harrowing details um i would i would recommend the the audiobook because it is a very um enjoyable listen despite the the material um i i really really appreciated it and then the the having the two different um narrators really emphasize when the perspective changed and and when it didn't and and it sort of gave it a, a bit of a f- different flavor so um yeah i overall i i really liked it very different um unlike anything um but i'm i'm glad i read it um yeah i'm i'm I'm, and you know what i will admit it might have hit very differently if this was written before the me too era um you know maybe the soliloquy at the end might have hit a bit harder um so yeah just i would say i keep in mind the, the the time period in which it was written 2018 so um but yeah, it was good, and it makes me excited for future future works, both by Pat Barker and just generally. Um, you know, I really, really thought maybe at this point I would be really, really tired of hearing another just sick of the Iliad. Iliad, but I I'm still enjoying it. Although I feel like we're getting darker and darker. We do seem so to be. Like, uh... We do seem to be. I'm kind of waiting for my comedy. I don't think we're going to guess it, given that this is the Iliad. I'll just watch the Brad Pitt movie because you know what? At least that's freaking entertaining. This as hell. is true. Because um, I can just spend half the time insulting freaking Orlando Bloom's, you know, Paris, just yelling insults at the screen. Princeling. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah. Well, I'm excited for what we do next, and um, yeah. I mean, I would just say if you guys have a different take on this book. Or if you want to quickly read it and then email us, please do. Because um, I know we've been really talking about some serious themes here and, and not really sure. But um, if anyone else has has thoughts on, on this novel, please let us know. Um, we would love to hear what you have to say about it as well. So, Absolutely. Yeah. And with that, I would say uh, we will see you guys next week. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to leave us a review. And you can also follow us on social media at The Reading Party Podcast. If you'd like to leave us a book or movie suggestion, then email us at thereadingpartypod at gmail.com. See you next week. Mm-hmm.